Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you here uh, at Central Campus, also those of you who are joining us online uh, in the Calgary area and, and beyond, as well as those of you who are meeting at one of our regional campuses in uh, Airdrie and uh, South Calgary, also in Northwest Calgary and Bridgeland. We um, just trust that God is very present with you and uh, your time together. So this weekend, we're starting a new series that focuses on the pursuit of simplicity. And uh, I'm learning very quickly this subject is very complex. As we saw in the Man on the Street video a moment ago, most people seem to have an idea of what simplicity is, um, but they're struggling immensely trying to figure out how to live that out. And I can relate to them. I mean, when it comes to simplifying my life, I'm a fellow struggler. Uh, I, I still have a lot to learn, uh, which is why I'm rather excited about this series because, as you may know, um, you, you learn the most when you teach something. And uh, I, as I've been preparing this, I've been learning a lot. I've been learning a lot from the scriptures, uh, from other writers, and from the feedback that <clears throat> uh, some of you have been uh, passing on to me. And my prayer is, is that as we study the scriptures together, that we will not only grow in our understanding of the kind of life that our Father intends for us to live, but that we'll have the courage uh, to make the changes that need to happen. I say that because my sense is that for many of us, something has to change. When I talk to people, I often hear frustration. They talk about feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, overloaded, overcommitted. When I dig a little deeper, it's evident that they're lacking margin in their life. So how do you know if you're lacking margin in your life? Well, one indicator is, is that you're always in a hurry. You always have the pedal to the metal. You, you talk fast. You even listen fast, which means you actually finish people's sentences for them. You, you find your inside voice saying things like, come on, you know, get on with the point. You drive faster than you should, weaving in and out of traffic. You're a maniac, always looking for the fastest lane to be in. You hate waiting in line. Oh, do you hate waiting in line? You're at the grocery store. You're literally calculating which is the fastest lane to be in based on a number of factors, like the age of the clerk. <laughs> and you get really ticked when you pick the slowest line. You hate wasting time, and so you book your appointments too close together, not allowing for adequate travel time, and you're consistently late for appointments. Something I can't relate to at all. Another indicator is always trying to do more than one thing at a time. You see, you believe that doing one thing at a time is a poor use of time. I mean, why pray when you can pray and worry at the same time? <laughs> why just listen to a sermon when you can also go online with your smartphone put that thing away. But anyways, you can also use your smartphone and respond to your emails and, and, and see how the Blue Jays are doing and make reservations for lunch. <clears throat> or why waste time eating breakfast peacefully and quietly in your breakfast nook? When you can eat breakfast, shave, drink coffee, and have a conversation on the phone while you're driving down Deerfoot. <clears throat> A further indicator of having too little margin in your life is your desk, your office, your bedroom, your garage, your home, your car. Well, everywhere you go is messy. There's just clutter everywhere. A further indicator of having too little margin in your life is your relationships suffer. 
Your relationships with your loved ones suffer because you simply don't have the time to go deeper with them, to invest with them. And even when you do, you're too tired or you're preoccupied, you're distracted by other things. Your relationship with the Lord suffers for exactly the same reasons. And when there's no margin, when there's no breathing room, stress and anxiety grows. Others walk on eggshells around us because they, they don't want to set us off. Days and weeks fly by and you sit there and go, where'd the last month go? You have trouble sleeping because your mind won't slow down. And in your honest moments, there are times that you just feel not only like you're on this treadmill, but you're feeling very much alone. You can't remember the last time that you had an inner sense of peace and calm, relief from constant underlying stress. You know, surveys consistently show that 80% of us, 80% of us say that we are significantly stressed. And you see it all around us. I mean, people cussing each other out in parking lots and using unmentionable language and sign language in traffic on the golf course. You know, football and hockey games. People ready to duke it out over the most ridiculous things. It's all a visible indication of how stressed out so many people are in our city and in our culture. So I'm wondering, am I describing you even somewhat? Maybe you're not cussing, you're not at the cussing people out stage yet. But do you feel harried? Do you feel hurried, desperately wanting to get off the treadmill that you're on? Most of us crave simplicity, and yet we wonder, how do we find simplicity in a world of complexity? Well, the Bible teaches that this is not the way that God intends for us to live. Jesus, God the Son, he came to earth for a number of reasons. One of the reasons he came was to show us who God is, to show us what God is like, and to model for us the life that God intended for us to live. And if you study the life of Christ, you'll notice that he was never in a hurry. He made time for rest. He took time away regularly to be with his heavenly father. Even though he had crowds vying for his attention and for his healing touch, he didn't allow the expectations of people to define his life. He did the things that his father asked him to do. And this same Jesus turns to those of us who long for simplicity in a very complex world. And he extends an invitation to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, Jesus is actually giving us the key to simplicity right here in this invitation. When he says, come to me, he's essentially saying that the key to simplicity is determining the one thing or the one person that you're going to trust that you're going to give your life to. Many of us think that simplicity is figuring out a way to do less or figuring out a way to not work so hard. But simplicity is far more than that. Simplicity is bringing clarity to what is most important to me in my life and going after that with a laser focus. A few years ago, I saw an interview with swimmer Michael Phelps shortly after he won eight gold medals at the Olympics. I think the highest number any Olympian had ever accomplished. And he said in preparing for the Olympics, his life consisted of the following. Training, eating, and sleeping. 
Now, you can't get more simple than that. That is simple. Incredibly boring, but simple. And yet his life was not a life of ease. It isn't like he had huge time to just sit around. No. His life was incredibly challenging. It was difficult. But it was simple. In that he was very focused. He devoted all of his energies toward one goal. This is the heart of what it means to pursue simplicity. If we want to break out of a lifestyle of complexity and pursue simplicity, the most fundamental decision that we have to make is what is the one thing that I'm going to give my life to? Here in Matthew 11, Jesus says, the key to simplicity is found in coming to him. It is found in trusting him, following him, and learning from him. In short, for those of you who are taking notes, there's two major keys that I'm focusing on this message relating to simplicity. The first one is living for Christ, and the second one is learning from Christ. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Notice he said, the focus is your soul. Your soul is the real you. The invisible, eternal part of you that God made to connect with you. Your body is simply a container. Never thought of that before, did you? Just a Tupperware container, that's all. A container that holds what's really important, the real you. You can lose a body part and your soul remains unchanged. Jesus says simplicity begins with your soul. Simplicity doesn't begin by taking a time management course. You know, learning how to run your life more efficiently. It doesn't begin by reading a book on minimalism. No, simplicity begins by looking at what's going on inside of you. What's going on in your soul, what's going on in your heart. It's looking at what it is that's driving you. The fears that are lurking within you. The fears that are binding you. What it is you value. What it is you're giving your life to. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks at length about the issue of worry. And he says the answer to all of our fretting is found in seeking him and his kingdom first. And then trusting him with all those other concerns that we have in life. You see, the reason that so many people are strung out and worn out these days is because they're devoting their lives not to one main thing, but to a myriad of things. They react more than they're proactive. They want to experience all that God has for them, but they also want to embrace the counterfeit gods of this world. And Jesus says, you can't serve two gods or two masters. Your life will be chaos. And in the end, you will face major disappointment and despair if you try to serve two masters or two gods at the same time. One writer put it this way, simplicity leads to freedom, whereas duplicity leads to bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance, whereas duplicity brings anxiety and fear. Simplicity at the core is the will to do one thing, is to have a single focus. You have to make a choice if you want simplicity. You know, all the way through Scripture, we read stories of people who made a choice. Joshua made a choice. Near the end of his life, he called the nation of Israel together. And he said in Joshua 24, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we 
will serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul also made a choice. In Philippians 1.21, he boldly declared, for me to live is Christ. He went on in Philippians 3.8 to get even more specific. He said, I consider everything a loss, a write-off, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rush, rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. Paul says, I've made a choice. I'm living all out for Jesus. So let me ask you, for you to live is what? Do you know? I want you to think about that question, not just during this message, but also during this entire series. Because how you answer it will play a significant role in whether your life will be characterized by complexity and frustration or by simplicity and satisfaction. The first key to simplicity that we see in this passage we're looking at when Jesus says, come to me, the first key is living all out for Jesus. The second key to simplicity is learning from Jesus. Notice in verse 29, in verse, Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your soul. The word yoke means to submit to. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Submit to me. Stay close to me. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Trust me and follow me. And I will and you will find rest for your soul. And rest isn't just sleeping. Rest is that deep sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment. Now, the Bible's full of truths, full of lessons from the life of Jesus that we can learn from. I want to focus on just two lessons, two truths in the time remaining that are critical to our pursuit of simplicity. The first lesson is this. Simplicity comes to those who anchor their identity in Jesus Christ. All of us have this insatiable hunger to be loved and to be accepted and to belong. That desire often drives us to prove ourselves to succeed. Someone affirms us saying, you know, man, you're really good at that. Or you're smart. And we like how that feels. And so we work even harder, or we study even harder to impress others in order to receive more of their affirmation. Or we like it when people admire our possessions or the image of success that we're trying to portray. Hey, nice car. Nice clothes. And it drives us to attempt to keep up that image and to be even more successful. Or we like the esteem, we like the respect, we like the security that our position seems to give us. And we can only imagine how much more we will be esteemed if we were to climb another rung or two of the corporate ladder. If we were to make it to the office of the vice president or president or CEO. And the thought feels so good that we give our lives to it. And soon our activity becomes synonymous with our identity. Pretty soon we begin to find our worth, our sense of value in what we do rather than who we are. And even though we hate the pressure, we hate the busyness and the drivenness, we love the feeling of being needed. We love the feeling of feeling important. <coughs> Lance Witt he tells of a time when he was just a young pastor and he was serving in his first church. 
On Monday nights, a group of men gathered to pray together, and he often joined them. What would happen after the prayer time was the guys would, would just hang around for 30, 45 minutes, and they would shoot the breeze. And on one of those particular evenings, these men began to joke about pastors. How they figured that pastors had cushy jobs. Um, they only worked, you know, a day or two a week. Come on, be honest. A lot of you think that. And Lance says, I remember standing there in the middle of that circle of guys and thinking to myself, well, I'll show you. I'll work hard enough so that you won't ever say that about me. He says, I determined to prove them wrong. He said, I was already working hard, but I worked even harder and longer hours. He says, I became a workaholic. The sad thing is, in the end, my family paid the highest price for it. He says, as I look back over the years now, my kids are growing up, I still have regrets about that. That I chose to believe a lie and to try to find my identity in the approval of a few men rather than finding my identity in Jesus Christ. How easy it is for all of us to do that. We run hard and fast, we miss sleep, we overextend ourselves, we fret, we worry, we neglect our families and our loved ones to achieve whatever it is we feel we need to achieve, success or fame, possessions or position or whatever it is, all in this desperate hope that one day we're going to be loved and accepted for our accomplishments. Unfortunately, even though there's nothing wrong with affirmation or position or possessions or security, all of these things can feel really good, but they are not real love. Not the kind of love that lasts. See it for what it is, folks. I am not what my resume says I am. I am not what my position or my stuff says I am. I'm not even what other people say I am. No, I am who God says I am. And the Bible tells me that I am a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves me more than I could ever imagine. And if you've entrusted your life to him, so are you. Look at what 1 John 3, 1 says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We aren't going to find real love in temporary things. We have this God-shaped vacuum, this God-shaped hole in our souls, in our hearts that only God can fill. Only God and the love of God, His love, can fill that need, that hole in your soul. Everything else is counterfeit. It is a substitute that will never satisfy because it's temporary. It won't last. And so in light of this teaching, this lesson, let me ask you again, for you to live is what? Think about the trajectory of your life. What you're, what's consuming your time and your passions? What's keeping you up at night? For you to live is what? If you would say, well, for me to live is possessions and power, then to die is what? To leave it all behind. If for you to live is fame and notoriety... then to die is what? It's to soon be forgotten. If for you to live is beauty or the perfect looking body, then to die is what? To face the reality that your body is dying. It's falling apart. If for you to live is family or friends, then to die is what? It's to leave them behind. 
Nothing in this life will satisfy the deep longing in our hearts. Only our Lord will do that. That's why the psalmist is so right when he says in Psalm 62, 1, my soul finds rest, it finds satisfaction, peace, fulfillment in God alone. And so one lesson we learn from Jesus is simplicity comes to those who anchor their identity in Jesus Christ. A second truth, a second lesson that we see here is simplicity comes to those who number their days. If Jesus were sitting down with us and teaching us today, I believe this is another lesson he would want to teach us. In Psalm 90, the psalmist is reflecting on the brevity of life. And he writes this prayer to God. Lord, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Teach us. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist says to God, Lord, teach me to number my days because doing so makes me face the fact that one day the numbers are going to run out. Numbering my days makes me face my mortality. And death can be a teacher of wisdom. How can death be a teacher of wisdom? Well, you see, we so often live as if we're going to live forever. Deep down inside, we know that death is coming and that, that, that death could dramatically change our relationships and everything in our lives. But you see, we convince ourselves that we still have time, that that day will come, but not just yet. Which is very presumptuous. And so we spend our time as if we're always going to have our kids. We spend our time as if we're always going to have our spouse. We spend our time as if we're always going to have our friends or we're always going to have our parents. In short, we're not numbering our days. And when you don't number your days, you are tempted to presume on God and to fill your days with things you will one day wish you had not filled your days with. You will presume on God and you will do things that you're saying, well, you know, as soon as I get this taken care of, as soon as I finish this, then I'm going to invest in the relationships I want to invest in. One day I will, but soon, 12 years, 20 years goes by. And you've invested in all kinds of things that really don't matter a whole lot to you in the final analysis. Because you haven't numbered your days. On the other hand, when I number my days, I gain wisdom. Because I wake up to the fact that I do not have forever. That my time is limited. And that it is important that I invest my time in that which is really going to matter, not just to me, but also to God in the end. And I say matters to God in the end because I believe there was an author, and I won't mention his name, but he basically said, if you want to know what to give your life to, ask yourself, what do you want people to say about you when you die? What do you want to be remembered for? And it's a good thing. I mean, and he says, whatever you want to be remembered for, invest your life in that. So if you want to be remembered as, you know, a, a good husband or wife, then, you know, really invest in that. And, and that's good advice, but it's incomplete. Because you see, the day that I die, and there might be one or two things, nice things said about me, 
But that is really not the big thing. We should not be overly concerned or impressed with what other people say about us. We should be concerned about what God says about us. And so when I make this statement about what's going to matter to me, because see, that can be pretty selfish, but also what's going to matter to me and what's going to matter to God in the end, that begins to define my future and the direction I should go. Numbering our days challenges me to ask myself, when I stand before Jesus, what will matter most to me in that moment? I want you to think about that. Reflect on that. Not just now, but this week. When you stand before Jesus, what's going to matter most to you in that moment? Those of you who are keeping your children's schedules full with after-school sports and a whole bunch of other activities and you're frantically trying to ensure that they have every opportunity to be successful in this life. You're setting them up for success. Every chance you get, you, you worry about the, the, the fear that you know, they might drop behind or maybe not quite be as up there the way they should. Let me ask you this. How much is all of that going to matter to you when they stand before Jesus? That changes things, doesn't it? The one is all about job security and the temporary things of life. The other one is about, well, where do they stand with God? How do I help them grow in their relationship with God? Numbering my days challenges me even further. Numbering my days challenges me to ask is whatever will be most important to me when I stand before Jesus most important to me now? And if it is, where is it showing up in my priorities and in my calendar? You see, when the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, he's saying every single day counts. And how we spend each day adds up to the sum total of what our life will become. Steve May says, if you examine your life, you will see that your life today is primarily the result of decisions you have made over the past many years. If, for example, you're a successful surgeon... It didn't happen because last week you decided to start putting in little effort into being a great surgeon. No, your effectiveness is the result of daily decisions you have made through a decade of, year, of years. If my doctor says I'm 25 pounds overweight, that extra weight didn't come about because I ate a 25-pound steak a week ago at a very low, low point in my life. No, that was the result of a countless number of poor eating choices. In the same way, if I want to be healthy and feel better and, and take care of this physical temple that God has gifted me with, then I'm going to have to make decisions on a daily basis that will move me toward physical health. Now, I think we understand this in the physical realm, but folks, this is also true in the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm is so much more important because it's eternal. Numbering our days means we take a long, hard, honest look at what's really going to matter to God and to us in the end. And we ask ourselves, if I don't want any regrets... When I breathe my last, what do I need to do more of? And what do I need to do less of? And then pulling out our calendar 
and taking out the things that are not important in the final analysis and putting in the things that are. Bill Hybels talks about the power of the calendar. He says, your calendar shouldn't be a list of things you want to get done. He says, your calendar should be a list of things you want to become. Who do you want to become over time? What kind of husband do you want to become? What kind of father do you want to become? What kind of friend do you want to become? Most importantly, what kind of Christ follower do you want to become? And then ask yourself, what needs to be put into my schedule that will move me in that direction? And what needs to be taken out? He talks about, in the early years of his ministry, he was off to yet another meeting. And his daughter, Shauna, just innocently said to him, Oh, Dad, are you, are you going to be away tonight again? And he didn't have a really close relationship with his father. And... Uh, That comment just stuck with him. The next day, he sat at his desk and he asked himself the question, what kind of investment of time will it take to be a great father to that little girl? And he got out his calendar and he began to give dedicated time to investing in his children. He knew it wasn't going to happen unless he devoted some time to this. He's a grandfather now, as I am. He's got a grandson with a great name. His name's Henry. <laughs> and Bill says, you know, I had... I, he said, I have very vague memories of my granddad because I had no relationship with him at all. And he thought to himself, I don't want that to be the case with my grandson. But he knew that was just a wonderful thought. And it, that thought wasn't going to change anything unless he made it happen in his calendar. And he makes time for his grandson every week. If you want to have a healthy marriage, it's not going to happen by accident. Where are you going to put it in your schedule to have a date night to invest in your marriage? Or a date lunch or whatever to invest in your marriage? Now, I know that life happens and there's a lot of things that we do as Christians that just happen in the course of life. There's a lot of things in a marriage that happen that are just kind of serendipitous. You can't calendar everything. But it's critical that you set aside some time to invest specifically in certain relationships that matter to you. I remember talking to someone a while back. He shared with me how he really wanted to invest in the lives of other people, but he just didn't have the time. And so I asked him, so, so what's eating up your time outside of work? And he wasn't expecting that question because he heed and hawed for some time. And at the end of it all, I discovered that his time was predominantly consumed with watching television series, surfing on the net, you know, looking at all kinds of weird things, playing video games, sports, and the like. If having invested in the lives of people is going to matter to you when you stand before Jesus, then you need to rem remove these 
lesser things from your calendar and you need to add to your calendar the ministry and the people that you want to invest in. Whatever it is that's going to matter to God and to you in the end when you stand before Jesus. And I'm not saying this is easy. But whatever you say matters to you. It doesn't really matter to you if it doesn't show up in your calendar. Just face, face the fact. If slowing down to spend time with the Lord is important to you, then where in your calendar do you have 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day in which you go to that special place and you close out the world and you focus on your relationship with God? Again, you talk to God all day. All of that happens, I know. But where is that special time that you sit on that chair for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you say, Lord, it's you and me. No distractions. Numbering our days means we take long, a long, hard, honest look what's really going to matter to us when we stand before Jesus. You know, I have yet to hear someone say, I want to have a lousy marriage. I've yet had anyone say, you know, my goal in life is to raise up a... a a hyper-dysfunctional family. I have yet to hear someone, you know, I want to be remembered as a husband and a father who had no time for my marriage and family. I've yet to hear someone say, you know, I want to be remembered as someone who cared for no one but himself, who spent all of his time just watching television and ignoring the needs of other people. But many times that's exactly what happens because we don't take steps to go in the direction that we know we should and that we want to over the years I've been at a bedside of many people who are dying and never once have any of them wanted to talk about their accomplishments at work or the trophies that they've won or the stuff that they've accumulated you know what they want to talk about most of the time? They want to talk about relationships. Their relationships with their family, their relationship with friends, their relationship with God. And often they talk about the regrets they have, the misplaced priorities, wishing that they'd invested more in relationships than in accumulating all this temporary stuff. I found that most of most of these people see things very clearly at that moment in their life. Oh, make no mistake, many understood those truths for years, but it wasn't until a crisis hit, a biopsy report or a car crash or a layoff, that they began to do anything about it. Chip Ingram, he tells of the time that his wife Teresa was diagnosed with cancer. And he says, when I learned she had cancer, I experienced a clarity of vision like never before. He says, the day we got the news, it became crystal clear to me what mattered most. Within a week, he said, he canceled all kinds of things to make room to be with this person who mattered more to him than anyone. And he said it was easy. There were no second thoughts, no sense that, oh man, you know, if I do this, I might miss this opportunity. None of that. Why? When you love more, he says, you do less. See, that's what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians 13. When he said, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's he saying? All my accomplishments in life mean nothing without love. Anything minus love is nothing. In other words, whatever you're doing with your time, whatever you're doing with your life, if you're not loving people, if you're not cultivating loving relationships, you're wasting your time. Because anything minus love is nothing. Chip says, knowing I might not have much time with the person I love the most, completely 
transform my priorities. You see, folks, that's what numbering your days does. It gives you clarity about what really matters. It'll wake you up to the fact that you don't have all the time in the world with your spouse, your family, your friends. You don't have all the time in the world to invest in the life of those who need the Lord. You don't have all the time in the world to invest in children or in youth or in adults who need mentoring. You don't. It wakes you up to the reality that you only get to be 20 once. Youth, you only get to be 12, 15, 18 once. You can't live your life over again. Numbering our days reminds us that we've only got one shot at this. And how you invest your time really matters. It matters to God. It matters to your loved ones. It matters to those who need the Lord. Numbering your days challenges us to no longer buy things that we don't need with money we don't have in order to somehow impress people who really don't care about us anyways. Numbering your days challenges us to not worship our work or to climb a ladder that if we really look at the wall it's leaning against, we're not even impressed with the wall or where that ladder's going. Numbering our days will reduce complexity in your life and it'll produce spiritual simplicity. But it all comes down to making a decision about the one thing you're going to give your life to. For you to live is what? The Apostle Paul put simplicity in seven words. For to me to live is Christ. And that radically changed the trajectory of his life. If you would characterize your life as chaotic, overwhelming, I can predict with a high degree of certainty it is because you aren't sure what it is you're giving your life to. Or you're trying to go in two directions at the same time. My prayer for all of us is, is that we'll settle this issue once for all. That we will not only say with conviction, for me to live is Christ, but we're going to live each day like we actually mean it. May it be so. To the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Amen. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Would you open up your hands to God again? This is time for just you and Him. And two questions. Ask Him, Lord, what are you saying to me? And the second question is, Lord, what do you want me to do about what you're saying to me? What's the next step for me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this reminder. This reminder to number our days. This is the first day of the rest of our lives, and I pray that we would be reminded in a fresh way that we have only one shot at this life. 
And what we do from the time that we are born to the time that we breathe our last, Lord, it matters. We're not just putting in time. You never intended for us just to put in time. It matters to you, Lord. It matters to those who love us. It matters to a world that desperately needs you. Remind us again, Lord, that living simply isn't necessarily about doing less. It's about doing the right things. It's less about achievement. It's a lot more about loving relationships, spending time with you, with those that we love, and serving others unselfishly, putting others ahead of ourselves taking your command to go, to introduce people to Jesus, taking your command seriously, stepping out, Lord, loving on children, loving on youth, loving on people that you bring across our path. Lord, I pray that the decisions that we make going forward that when we stand before you, there just won't be any regrets. May it be so, Lord, we pray. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.